this video that covers slides on how to pass the PhD candidacy exam. You can also think of this as a PhD entrance exam or a PhD research method methodology entrance exam. Um, and just a disclaimer that my experiences with taking the physics PhD candidacy exam or the physics entrance exam at The Ohio State University in the, in the United States of America and I am no authority of this department. I'm just sharing from my experience and what I learned by going through the process myself as a student. And for official information, please go to the OSU physics website to read the actual requirements. All right, so let's get into it. So what is candidacy? So candidacy or the PhD entrance exam is a six week formal exam. This is required by the graduate school. So not just the physics department or whatever your department is at Ohio State or some other school. It is actually a requirement of the grad school and it's very common to have this kind of exam. Sometimes it's called qualifying exam or qualifier or a candidacy exam or a PhD entrance exam at different schools. Now, what happens is that your advisor and or your committee chooses a topic. This research topic is generally not something that you have already worked on, but it is going to be relevant to your research. It's good for you to know, but it's not. It's going to be kind of new to you. You will have a chance to become a mini expert on this topic, but you are not an expert already on it. Or that's how, or or it's that's what it's supposed to be like anyway. And it's really up to your advisor at the end of the day. But basically, you do a literature review of this topic. That's a very big part of this six-week uh, process is that you have to become a mini-expert on the topic. And a big part of research is, of course, you start with literature review. So you're going to do quite a bit of that. And then coming to the deliverables, you're going to have a 15 to 20-page paper that will be due at the end of four weeks and a talk or a candidacy exam presentation uh, at the end of six weeks. So... Basically, you have a research paper part and a research presentation part or an oral exam at the end of the six weeks. So before I get into further into the candidacy process, I just wanted to take a pause here and say that if you are a first year graduate student, that is, this is your first year in graduate school, maybe you just finished your undergrad, maybe you're returning back to school after working uh, for a while in industry, whatever may be the case, if you're still pretty early on in your grad school experience, such as being in the first year or second year, I would say Focus on finding a good PhD advisor. So this is a very important part of being successful in graduate school is that you need to find somebody, a professor with whom you feel relatively comfortable to interact with regularly and ask any questions and who has money or the ability to get TA support and they have project ideas that interest you. So I would say those four things that I have in the bullets on this slide are kind of the order in which you should be thinking. So if you find a professor with whom you're not comfortable working with and getting, you know, guidance from asking them questions, they, you know, keep keep a track of how you're doing. Like if you're not comfortable with them, this is going to be your boss for quite a long time. So I feel like, and even in industry, whoever your boss is, is a big part of your success. So I would say really make sure that you uh, like uh, the professor that you have found, that you are comfortable with them. And most importantly, even before I, I, I think even before you focus on what do they have projects that interest you, I would say figure out if they have money to pay you, right? So this is like the basic necessities. Like if they don't have money for your project, if they don't have money to pay you, if they don't have research grants or at least the ability to get TA support, then you 
then it's just not gonna work out like you're not gonna be able to sustain yourself in graduate school so make sure that those all happen in that order okay great so if you're a second year graduate student and you're you know close to doing your candidacy i really hope that you have found a good phd advisor if not keep looking and i really do mean that because the person or the group that you're going to do your candidacy exam with is hopefully going to be the group where you also have your phd from so the first step of finding the right professor finding the right research group is something that you cannot skip so please keep looking for example my candidacy exam was pushed uh, about a semester because i was still switching research groups and had not found the right fit for research in graduate school at first so even though that took longer for me to find i actually graduated uh, earlier than a lot of people who had been with their same group the whole time. So even if it takes longer for you to find the research group where you will get your PhD from, don't skip this step because if you hate the professor, if you don't like the research group that you're in and you're unhappy, you will be less productive. So for overall good health and also good health of your PhD, I really think that you should find a good advisor first. So let's get into what a candidacy committee or, your, or a PhD committee looks like. So first of all, you have your advisor who you choose. Say they're an experimentalist in their field. The next person you'll want in your committee is an in-field experimentalist. So another experimentalist in the department or that field and your advisor usually recommends this person. So you can start to see how when you pick your advisor, it's really you're giving that person a lot of control they're going to pick a lot of things for you and they will be the expert in that field that you are relying on very heavily so be sure to do number one correctly uh then number two as i said it's in field experimentalist probably uh that your advisor recommends now if your advisor is, is a theorist this number two will probably be an in field theorist that your advisor recommends so you can see how this example would work out and then number three is usually an in-field theorist. It's like, say your advisor is an experimentalist, your number three person on the committee will probably be an in-field theorist and the advisor recommends this person as well. And the number four is an out-of-field person and generally you choose this person, but I, in a lot of cases, the advisor recommends this person as well. And I think for this number four person on your committee, you should, again, choose someone that you're relatively comfortable with um, and this also goes to show that you should um, foster good relations with multiple prof professors in the department. Jo don't just focus on your advisor. Talk to other people, network, talk to other professors, postdocs, grad students, get to know everybody in your department, get to know how people are you know, doing their work, what they are saying about their advisors, things like that. And it is very important. So for example, I switched around uh, research groups for a little bit in my first couple years of grad school so I ended up working with multiple professors and some of them obviously I did not do my PhD with because I did my PhD with my last group where I actually completed uh, out and, and was done with grad school at that point so before then the professors that I um, that I worked with uh, with whom it didn't work out. Honestly, a lot of them actually ended up on my committee. So you can still have good relationships with the professors who you end up not doing your PhD with, but it is still important to do this networking and you know have good faith and just uh, 
make sure that you're maintaining a good and professional relationship with multiple professors because as you can see you need multiple people on your committee it's not just one person so make sure that you keep that in mind Okay, so this might be obvious, but sometimes people don't think about this, but a part of a big, pretty huge part of, of figuring out your committee, which of course affects your candidacy and your PhD entrance exam is timing. So it really depends a lot on the timing with which you're asking professors to be on your committee. You should start asking people pretty much pretty, pretty early in advance because professors are busy if you ask them to be on your committee last minute, they're probably booked at that point and they will not be able to make the exam. Like they literally will not have time on their schedule to come to your candidacy talk and that's why they cannot be on your committee because in order to be on your committee, they have to make those important dates. So I would ask professors to be on your committee four months in advance or more so that you can make sure that they can actually have the time to be on your committee to come to the important events like your candidacy talk etc and uh, schedule your exam so even if you haven't even started the candidacy process i would schedule your exam on a date and time much in advance that works well for you. So first, what you do is you schedule your exam on a day and time that works for you, and then you make sure that you're asking professors ahead in time so that they can actually also come to your candidacy and they can make your candidacy. But, you know, make sure that it works for you, first of all, because you're the person who's going to be on the spot at your candidacy. You don't want to want it to be on a day that is really bad for you for whatever reason or something personal going on. You want to make sure that it works for you. And if you do all of this a uh, lot in advance, that's how you make sure that everybody can make that time and day. Um, if you have busy, extra busy people on your committee, like say a very hard to get professor, like the chair of the department, make sure you talk to the assistant of that person to make sure that you're on their calendar. So make sure, for example, that your oral exam, the candidacy talk, is on your committee members' schedules. And if they're a very busy person, they probably have an assistant and you want to make sure you talk to that assistant for scheduling and make sure that your talk is on their calendar. Because a professor, they might say, oh yeah, I'll make your committee um, or, you know, I'll make your talk. And they might forget because they're so busy and they have so much going on. You really want to be talking to the assistant and also... Um, like making sure that you're actually on their schedule because if you're not for whatever reason if there's a mistake then they will probably not make your talk and you'd have to reschedule and your entire process uh could get messed up so you know i got my topic in a formal letter from my advisor and it was a little bit intimidating when i got my topic and like i read it for the first time i also was pretty excited because i liked the topic but i just wanted to say that once you get the topic for your candidacy, that is for your PhD entrance exam. Just remember that you're not alone. This is not supposed to be a lone journey. You will need help. And so get ready to ask for help. If you don't ask for help, then it will be very lonely and you might not get the correct guidance in order to be successful in this candidacy process. So first of all, I would ask clarification from your advisor and or your committee on the topic. So whoever picked the topic they have a certain idea for it they have a certain concept of what they want out of you or out of that topic and so be sure to ask them very early on like maybe the next day what are their expectations broadly 
what outlines should your paper follow? Follow, and the thing is. If you ask them these questions and they cannot answer, they will just tell you that they can't answer. Like, keep asking questions until you're told that they can't tell you something. You know, like communicate profusely with your advisor and or your committee. They picked the topic, so they actually want to see that you're interested in it. Because if you're not interested in it, then they might even feel rejected because they're the ones who pick the topic, right? So you're actually making them feel better if you are going to ask them these questions about the topic and get a lot of clarity. Because I can tell you that a lot of things go wrong because of miscommunication and misguidance or somebody like assuming something that's not true. And you don't want to find those out towards the end of the exam, right? When you would be out of time. So very early on, ask for clarification on your topic so that you can be on the right track from the beginning and ask away they will tell you when they cannot tell you something because it's an exam um, but don't be shy to actually ask the questions because that's how you can get clarification and the ultimate um, success comes from being on the right track and adjusting if you're not you know what I mean like maybe you're not on the right track and you'd have to adjust but you want to know that earlier rather than later okay so now I'm going to talk about a point that is extremely important so listen up and also this will greatly affect the time it takes for you to become an expert in this topic because as you know you have a limited amount of time the whole um, point of the exam is that it's not forever it, there is a limited amount of time to learn a bunch of things and start to apply yourself so I would say the number one takeaway takeaway from this talk and from this guideline would be to find the local expert. So the candidacy topic or your PhD entrance exam topic is not something that you have worked on directly before. It's likely something that you are not an expert in yet, but someone else in the department probably has worked on this before. Someone else in the department or in the school or even in the broader community for this field is probably the local, is probably the expert, if not the local expert of this topic. I would find that person. So if you have a local expert, so if there is somebody in, in your same department who uh, is the local expert of this topic, I would definitely find that person. If you can't find such a person in your department, reach out to them by email um, they might be at a different university or even if it, even if they're in a different country. So I've reached out to people that's not even in this country at other universities by just looking up their emails and contact information from papers they've written. And you'll be surprised, like people do get back to you if you ask them specifically about their research, which in case you, in this case you would be, right? Like you'll, you're finding the expert of your topic, which means that that is their research topic. So this topic that you've been asked to work on for your candidacy exam or PhD entrance exam is not your research topic, or it might be kind of related to your research topic, but maybe it's not exactly your research, but it's, it is going to be exactly someone else's research and you have to find that person. And you can ask around, you can even ask your advisor or committee uh, who came up with the topic as far as if they know who the expert is, if there's a local expert. But there has to be a professor or a postdoc or even a senior graduate student who is the expert. And this person, the most important thing about this most important thing is that they will know 
the literature on this topic way better than you. So the thing is, you're going to have to start with a literature review. You're going to have to know what papers to read. But the problem is that for any given topic these days, there are so many papers, it's hard to even know which papers are the most important papers for your topic. So this is why finding the local expert, even if they can just tell you what papers to start with, what are the most important work or the most important contributions of this field, that itself is a big time saver and it will save you. So meet with them, even if it's through like Zoom or Skype or whatever, if you can meet with them in person, then all the better, but take their suggestions, write them down. I will say that a couple hours with the local expert or the couple hours with an expert of your field is going to save you a lot of time in the overall process and it will set you on the right path. So don't skip this step. Okay, and this is just as important as well. Start working on your paper on week one. So you have six weeks for the full exam and the paper is due after the end of week four. You don't want to wait till week three to start writing. You, sh you at least want to be making notes as you're learning because you're becoming a mini expert on a completely new topic. You, you're actually going to not retain everything unless you write things down, unless you take notes. So since you're supposed to deliver a paper at the end anyway, I would incorporate that this learning process into your writing of the paper. So remember, in order to start writing the paper, it doesn't have to be perfect. You can just dump whatever you're learning, whatever references you're using, things you're learning, concepts you're learning. Maybe you've met with the expert and they explained something really well and you wrote that down. All of this will contribute towards the overall paper that you're writing. So start to write these things down, even if it is in like rough notes form. Just start writing things down because you're not going to remember every single thing unless you write it down. Writing it down is creating a record of it that is much more reliable than trying to remember in week three what you thought about or what you learned or heard in week one. So please, please, please start working on your paper. And, I, and by that, I mean start writing things down in general in week one. And all of these things will together contribute towards your paper. And if you can start to like, you know, like you can start to get the formatting going, you can start to get LaTeX fired up and you can start to put in the sections of your paper and all of that stuff in week one and I really would. And then after you have the broad outline of the paper, after you have the subsections or sections or even just the broad skeleton of the paper going, you can start to dump the, you know, the relevant information under each of those sections as you go. Write as you go. Don't think that you're going to collect a lot of information in your, in your brain and write like on the third day of the fourth week or something like that. Please don't do that. It's that's not how it works. Okay. Keep always know that with research, writing is actually part of research. You cannot think of writing as a separate activity. Writing things down is a part of research. Please learn that learn that now or you will regret it, unfortunately. This might depend a little bit on your advisor and or your committee, but if you can and if they are good with giving you feedback, I would get early and regular feedback on the paper. So for example, in my group, my advisor really liked giving feedback. So the thing is, you might want to start sharing, start, start sharing your uh, draft of the paper with your advisor and your committee 
and or your committee, depending on who is available, if they're receptive to this or not. But you might want to show them your draft pretty early on so that the feedback the feedback flow can start on week one, not week three. So, uh, for example, why this is so important. Most students are worse uh, scientific writers than they think. Now, you get a lot better at writing throughout graduate school and you become a lot better eventually. But in the beginning, and if the PhD candidacy exam or the PhD entrance exam is one of the first such things you have done, what I've noticed is a lot of people are a lot worse than they think they are. And so how to make your paper better is literally by incorporating your advisor and your group. Like you can also get feedback from your research group, maybe some more senior people, like senior grad students or postdocs who've been through this process before. And why you need to show them your draft is because they can give you feedback on your draft. If you don't show them your draft because you're too shy or something, well, the, the the point is, if you're too shy and you think your draft is weak, well, you need their feedback in order to make it better. So, you know, put your ego aside and get feedback and start to get that feedback flow happening early on. Because if you get too much uh, feedback towards the end, you're not going to be able to have time to do everything and you're going to be, it'll be a lot more overwhelming. So catch, another thing is catch mistakes too, because in, in, in your conceptual understanding, there will be some mistakes. Um, as you're learning this new topic or, or subtopics related to what, what, what is um, happening here. And uh, it's important to catch those mistakes while you're in the process of doing the exam over those weeks rather than wait till the end and have that mistake show up on the oral exam. So this is why it is so important because it's kind of hard to get people's feedback all at once during the talk, right? Like I'm going to talk about the practice talk as well, but basically... When you show people the draft of your paper, you're actually giving them a chance to give you feedback in a much more passive way where they're not having to like do it right then and there. And you might actually get a lot of feed, uh, like a lot of value from that. Like it's almost like putting more than one person, which is you, to work. You're kind of putting the whole group, whoever is willing to take a look at your draft, you're getting multiple people's feedback and incorporating that into your paper and you're going to make your paper like a hundred times better by doing so so start getting that feedback flow and start to do it in week one not week three because um you'll just be able to make your paper that much better by incorporating feedback all right and then just like with the paper you should also give a practice talk so even though this format is different giving a talk is obviously very different from writing a paper but even this you should absolutely get feedback and by and the only way to do that of course is give a practice talk so before your actual oral exam talk is due you should schedule a practice talk now Typically, this would be you would schedule this a week before your real talk so that you have enough time, like a week's worth of time to still incorporate the feedback and make yourself better for the real talk. But this is what you should do. You should invite like everyone in what invite everyone in the department that you can think of, invite professors, postdocs, other grad students, grad students in other groups in completely different fields. You should just invite everybody and see who shows up and a fair amount of people will show up. Now, just remember, it's going to be brutal. So to have someone else take the take notes, because basically a practice talk is where people grill you because in the real talk, your committee is going to grill you. So in a practice talk, the people you have invited are going to grill you and have you basically, you know, practice giving this candidacy exam talk. And so just remember that it, it might be a little overwhelming. You can go home and cry. But the thing is, 
you have to you know make use of this opportunity to learn as much as you can have someone take notes on gaps in your knowledge so basically things are going to come up you you're going to have weaknesses and you're going to have gaps in your knowledge the 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 point is to learn that and then over the course of the next week you get up to date on everything you don't know you actually learn everything you don't know and then you'll be good right so if you are busy yourself fielding questions, have someone else make notes on what questions you got asked and what things you didn't seem to be able to answer well, because that is the gap in your knowledge that you're going to have to now fill after this practice talk. So take the practice talk very seriously. Take full advantage of the fact that you can do a practice talk. Don't do candidacy exam oral exam, real talk without doing a practice talk first, okay? It's super valuable. You're going to learn a lot. It's not going to be comfortable, but that's just how it is. Everybody's practice talk is kind of bad, and um, there is just a lot to learn there, okay? So make yourself uncomfortable and get to it. Okay, and then after the practice talk, study, study, study. You know, like, it's okay. If your practice talk did not go so well, and you're kind of scared and kind of sad and kind of worried after the practice talk, that's completely normal. Go home and cry if you need to. But then study. The whole point of this overwhelming exercise of the practice talk was to figure out what things you don't know, and now you've got a week to study up on those things. So study the topics that you were shaking up, shaky on or didn't know or couldn't explain well or you know, got tripped up by. And then once you're studying these, then you're getting stronger on those exact same topics. So you're kind of flipping your weaknesses on their head. Like turn your weaknesses into strengths, right? And that's how you grow. So this last week, I honestly think that you learned the most because you've gotten, you've been getting feedback from your paper, uh, on your paper and also because of the practice talk, all those gaps in your knowledge got illuminated and now it's time to fill those gaps and to study, right? This is an exam. You're going to have to study and this is a, a big part of it. You're not going to be able to know everything you don't know by yourself, which is why the practice talk is so important. And so please take advantage of it to learn what you don't know and then study what you don't know. On D-Day, you might feel very nervous. Maybe you'll feel great, but you might feel nervous because of how much you know. The thing is that now that you know more, you will know how little you know. This is very common in research is that as you become more and more of an expert, you start to understand better about the things you don't know. Because in the beginning, you don't know what you don't know. But as you start knowing things, you do know what you don't know. And that can make you very nervous. So if you're beyond nervous, just tell yourself, fake it till you make it. You know, you know stuff, you can still, you got this, right? And remember that the idea is to make your committee feel confident that you're ready to be a PhD candidate, that you're ready to pass this exam and become a PhD student. Like basically you're already a grad student. Now you're going from a graduate student to a PhD candidate um, about to work mainly on your thesis. So this transition is all about becoming more confident as a researcher. So the fact that you know what you don't know better is actually huge progress and just try to get through it you know, you got this. Um, as, as you know, if you're nervous, just remember, professors are nervous too. Everybody is nervous. Everybody who starts to learn, learn things, that's part of it. You start to get humbled by knowledge. And so remember that that's normal and just 
You're going to have to get through it and you will get through it. I promise you. Okay, so on D-Day, I would say for the oral exams, this is where you've already get, you know, submitted your candidacy paper and you're actually defending your candidacy research presentation now. Uh, and sometimes people call that the candidacy oral exam or the final day of your candidacy. So get to the exam early, get familiar with the room. So obviously you have to book the room ahead of time, make sure it's booked, make sure, as I spoke about before, everybody has it on their calendar because it's you and the, the committee, right, is, is going to be in that room. So you uh, should definitely get, get to the room early and just get get familiar with everything, the whiteboards, set up your talk, figure out where you're going to stand, how are you going to do things. And what I would say, this is what I strongly suggest. During the exam, you should station yourself near a whiteboard or a chalkboard, whatever kind of board you have in that room, right? Don't try to hide behind your talk. You're presenting your talk, you're presenting your slides, and you're doing a research presentation, but the talk the slides that is cannot be a crutch this is actually you right you're the one who made those slides and you're utilizing the slides as a prop and you're showing them the slides and talking through the slides but at the same time this exam is about you and what you know and what you can do and especially what you can do on the spot so you're going to have to work things out on the board. So I wouldn't even try to avoid that. I would station yourself close to the whiteboard and be next to the whiteboard and be very professional and ready to go uh, and in order to like solve things, like start doing things on the board. Don't even try to avoid it. The, that will actually make them feel more confident about you too, that you're a professional researcher. You're willing to work things out. Things you don't know, you, you're you know willing to like do them on the spot think on your feet like you're willing to like work things out derive things on the board um even if you don't know something right uh and 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 you you might have to work it out so and and of course be very respectful alert attentive listen to their questions try to think about their questions use the whiteboard work things out and this willingness to show things on the board work it out on the working it out on the board is actually extremely important in making people feel confident about your competence and your abilities as a researcher so i would embrace that and encourage yourself to do that rather than try to avoid it don't even try to avoid it it's going to happen anyway you're just going to make things harder for yourself if you try to avoid that part and remember the committee wants you to succeed if you don't succeed and you have to do this exam again uh, because you fail the first time, most people pass, but if you fail, I think you can take it twice and then I think they make you leave the program is what happens. So remember that the committee does not actually want you to fail. Like it's, it's more, con it's more, it's, it's less convenient. It's, it's incon inconvenient for the committee to have to like redo the exam or to go through the process of failing you or something like that. So they want you to succeed. So if you get, if you get stuck or flustered under questioning, they might throw you a lifeline. Recognize that they're trying to help you and utilize. Now, I have heard of horror stories where the committee is not very nice, but I want to say that that's more of the, that's more rare. That is not the standard, you know, people. Like, people want you to succeed. So, 
I would say if you're getting stuck or flustered and they give you a clue or something, a hint, um, just recognize this as a lifeline. They're trying to help you. So take what they're saying. Take what they're saying, write it on the whiteboard and start and start to and try to work things out on the whiteboard from there, okay? Uh, note that they're trying to help you. Don't think that they're against you. Think of it as teamwork uh, and collaboration, right? This is almost like an interview in some sense, like an interview questioning too. Uh, people will give you hints and it's like, can you? are you taking the hint? Are you ignoring the hint? You know, this is very important. So uh, keep that in mind. All right, and this is a frequently asked question I got. What is the last day you can pass candidacy and have it count as a current term? Because there is, you know, some timelines um, in effect. It's very common for students to take this exam in their second summer of graduate school. Um, so yeah, I just have that the last work day before the new term starts. So for summer slash autumn, that is Monday, August 22. So I guess... Um, autumn semester or fall semester at Ohio State would start in August, right? So for it to count as you've, you know, done candidacy, um, I guess the last day of the exam can be on Monday, 8-22. Now, I, I would double check this though. I'm going to guess that it's going to be sometime in August, Just but, but just make sure for the year specific to you um, exactly when the last day is and, and, and then and then I believe your tuition goes down after you've passed candidacy. So it's actually quite important to understand when, um, like, how this affects everything. Like, okay, once you've become a PhD candidate, does it count as, like, less tuition now for grad school? And I, I believe that is when your advisor starts to pay for you as well because your tuition is lowered. Um, so, so yeah, the timelines of candidacy can be kind of relevant in understanding uh, tuition and things like that. So make sure you understand like when the last day is that you would have to take the exam for it to count as a current term and then you would be considered as PhD candidate because I think if you wait too long for certain semesters, it might not count for that semester. So just be, just be uh, aware of this type of situation um, and yeah. And that's all I have for you. So I really hope that this helped and that you make full use of uh, this talk and like, you know, uh, it helps to prepare for your candidacy exam or PhD entrance exam. And um, yeah, please give us a like and subscribe on the channel that will let me know that you found this useful and I can keep making more content like this to help you get through grad school and other research topics. So thank you so much and good luck. You really got this.